Welcome to this edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Hope Go. Taiwanese American Frankie Gao was on track for a successful career in tech design until he discovered food blogging. His blog, Little Fat Boy, was named Blog of the Year by American food publication Savour in 2019. It was also named Best Individual Blog and Best Instagram by the International Association of Culinary Professionals in 2020. A graduate of the prestigious Carnegie Mellon University, Frankie was last design lead for Facebook and then design lead for Airbnb before he quit tech to turn his attention to food. Frankie joins us on Taiwan Talk this week to discuss his journey from tech designer to award-winning food blogger and cookbook author. I was in tech up until pretty much the pandemic. So I was working my full-time job and food was always just like a passion project. Like it was just a way for me to stay creative and to kind of just like express myself in however I wanted to do. And so for me, I've always loved to cook for my friends and cook like dishes for my family. And I've also always loved photography. And so the kind of like design photography food thing kind of just overlapped. And then that's how I ended up taking my own photos and starting my Instagram and having this sort of like side side gig of, of food, um, which ended up becoming um, the full-time job. Define food as a full-time job for you. I mean, you, you started yeah. and you're now doing food as a full-time job. What's that like for you? Yeah. I mean, food, it's kind of a, it's not a typical like nine to five anymore, but food as a job basically means for me, at least the last year it's been, I've just been working on a cookbook. And so uh, that's kind of the impetus of why I ended up quitting my job was because I got offered this cookbook deal and I literally couldn't do two jobs at the same time. I was like, because I wanted to photograph my own book as well. And so I ended up quitting my job and my day to day ended up becoming um, recipe testing and taking photographs of the food and writing. And so um, my day to day could range from, you know, spending all day on the computer, just writing out essays or talking to my family and trying to understand like my family history to, you know, spending a, a couple of days just like grocery shopping and, you know, kneading dough for a day and then folding dumplings the next day and then photographing on the third day. And so, yeah, so it really ranges, but it's definitely a job that requires a lot of hats. And I'm assuming you started out blogging about food. What was, what was that <laughs> leap like from blogging about it to actually being published? I mean, when I was blogging, it was almost more I think I was writing more for myself really and for my friends and to kind of as just like my own expression, but by no means was I a chef or was I, did I consider myself a professional writer? So to get a book deal and then have to actually like write something that would become this, like, I don't know, this tangible object that people would be able to buy and that would be published in a book. It was definitely a challenge. Like I struggled a lot with imposter syndrome and I had to like, I like definitely like, read books about how to write about food. Like I tried to like, I don't know, there was just definitely a gap in my head of like, okay, like I don't see myself as, as a professional food writer, but somehow I'm able to be given the chance to write a book. And so it was, there was never like a smooth transition. I think in the end, I kind of just had to believe in myself and go with my gut. And I started when I first actually started writing um, the book, I spent a lot of time like I'd write these descriptions about the food and I would use all these adjectives and I would describe it in this like very visceral and visual way. And people would read it and they'd be like, oh, that just doesn't sound like you at all. And so 
I kind of in the end pivoted. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to write like how I normally write and just be myself and write about my life and write about things that affect me and my own personal experiences and just like Taiwanese American food through just like my own lens and not worry about having to please everyone and having to kind of cover all my bases. And so that really helped me kind of bridge that gap between going from blogging to publishing a book to just, I don't know, just to be myself and to be authentic to my, my version of what Taiwanese American food could be. So what do you think about your blog resonated with the publishers that eventually came back and offered you a book deal? I would say, I think a lot of my blog was, it was never about defining what Taiwanese food was or defining what Taiwanese American food was necessarily, but it was more of like, me trying to figure out what that meant for myself and exploring that identity. And I think that kind of nuance was what the publisher was interested in, because I think for me, I've always, I think I've always struggled with identity, especially growing up in the States and growing up in the Midwest and being the only Asian person in like a sea of hundreds of, you know, non-Asian people in, in high school. Like, I think for me, I, I always kind of like tapered or like you know, put away the like Taiwanese side of me. And so a lot of my life, a lot of my childhood growing up, I didn't really know that much about my own culture, or I didn't spend a lot of time really kind of understanding like where the foods I was eating was from, or like, you know, what my grandma's background was and how she learned how to make all these foods. And so when it came time to like, as an adult, when I started to yearn for some of the foods that I grew up with and trying to understand, oh, like, why do I feel comfort in these foods? And where is this food from? The blog was this way for me to kind of figure that out. So I never really had the answers or I never really was, I never considered myself an expert. And I think that perspective was kind of what resonated with the publisher, because I think there really hasn't been, I don't know, there, I, think, I don't think there are a lot of voices that are represented that haven't explored that in-between space of like, not feeling confident in almost like either culture of being American or Taiwanese or American or, you know, insert culture here. And so, so yeah, I think that's what I was trying to bring to the publisher. And I think what the publisher resonated with. So what are some of the most meaningful discoveries you encountered along your journey from writing this blog to writing this book? I would say, I think the biggest thing I kind of got out of this whole journey was understanding where my family came from more so in the sense that like I feel like I've taken for granted as an American growing up you know in the U.S. all the sacrifices and struggles that my parents and my grandparents and and their parents all the things that they went through in order for me to be where I am to be able to have all the opportunities that I have you know, growing up, being able to go to school and to kind of have whatever hobbies I wanted and to, you know, eat whatever I wanted, like all these little things that I just like didn't even think about as my life. I never really understood why I was where I was until I started writing this book because I started to talk to my grandma and ask her, oh, hey, like, why do you cook this dish? And she would then recount like, oh, like this dish was from you know, my mother or my father, but like, I'm thinking of steamed fish, for example, like it's a dish that, you know, we have every holiday and it's just like this big fish. It's like steamed, it's beautiful and it looks gorgeous. And my grandma told me that like, you know, she had this dish growing up, but it was, you know, it didn't look nearly like this luscious, this like, and they didn't get to have it every single year because she grew up super poor and like her, you know, family 
came from China to Taiwan because of communism, and they basically like suffered a lot and had to sacrifice a lot. And just like hearing her family history, and because of this dish, was definitely like a revelation. Because I don't think for this book I would have ever really even asked her like, oh, like where's this dish from, or what memories do you have from this food that I also feel nostalgic for. So yeah, I think I'm just very grateful for. The fact that this book allowed me to kind of really connect with my family history, but really also to kind of just remind me that like I shouldn't take my opportunities and my privilege for for granted because a lot of people made sacrifices and decisions before me for me to like have these opportunities. So I think that was definitely like a huge blessing for sure. Let's talk about ingredient struggles. I mean, what's obviously <laughs> what's obviously America isn't in Taiwan and vice versa. I mean, it's a lot better today than it was maybe you know 10, 15 years ago. And obviously, there was there's been a lot of change. But did your parents or did your grandmother tell you about the amount of struggling they had to do in order to get ingredients, specialty Taiwanese ingredients to the table? Is that something you guys discussed at all? Yeah, it was definitely something we talked about. Like, I feel like a lot of what my grandma did when she would cook for me was adapt. She would have, she would like know the flavor of what she wanted to create. And she would kind of have to like, almost like science experiment, like all these different things from the grocery stores we had in Ohio in order to create this flavor. So by the time I was asking her, Hey, like, how did you create, you know, this dish that I grew up eating? She would have like a mixed bag of like, oh, well, like I use this in Taiwan, but you really can't get this in Taiwan or in America. So then I would use this, but then I can't really remember what that ingredient was. I just remember the flavor. So it was just like, it was definitely a struggle. And so I feel like the book itself is a mix of like having those adaptations in those recipes, because yes, like there are times where you can't have certain ingredients because they aren't they aren't sourced in American grocery stores. But then there's sometimes there's dishes where I'm like, that I'm just like, you you need this ingredient because this it's crucial to the flavor. Like there's some dishes that have like black vinegar, for example. And I'm just, yes, you could substitute with Worcestershire sauce, but like really like black vinegar is just so key to, to this dish and that flavor specifically. So is the reason why the dish is nostalgic. And so, yeah, it was definitely like a case by case basis, but yeah, there, there were definitely struggles in, in that. Let's flip this around a bit. What is, if you had to pick one ingredient that you really struggled with, what would it be? And why did you struggle with it? Oh, that's interesting. One ingredient. I think it was, I think this is like a super subtle thing maybe, but I honestly think it was bread flour. <laughs> and, and that's, and it, it's not because it's un, not uncommon in America, but my grandma used to make it with like a very specific Asian flour. And I can't even remember if it was that Taiwanese flour or if it was something else, but like it created this bun, the steam bun that was so like fluffy and, but soft and QQ and her steamed wrapper specifically around a bow was so distinct to me. So like, no matter what I would do, I could never really recreate it. Even I think in its final iteration, like I still don't think I have it like one-to-one with my grandma's. And so I always knew she used Asian flour. And so I think that was honestly the thing that I was just like, oh, I wish I could get this right. And I could know the exact brand that she used or the exact, like exact gluten kind of ratios, but, but yeah, I never got it. So I would say that was probably 
probably it. I'm going to ask you a very Asian parent question. Um, yes. You gave up tech to become a food blogger. <laughs> what did I that did. do your parents and your grandparents? <laughs> I know. Yeah. My, um, so my mom, I don't know. She, she's been luckily, I think she was like pessimistically optimistic. <laughs> she's always known my personality has always been to kind of like follow my gut. So like, even with like high school, like I was really into art and drawing. And so I've always wanted to do art. And so when I told her I wanted to go to design school, she was like, eh, like, I don't know about that. But like, you know, she was, I think I got really lucky in that she still supported me, even though she would voice her very strong opinions. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, when I went to design school and then I got the tech job out of, out of design school. So that I think kind of reassured her that like, okay, like maybe I kind of have a sense of like where I want to go and what I want to do, like um, as long as I'm passionate about it. And so when I told her I wanted to quit tech altogether, I think that was a little tougher pill to swallow because she was just like, how are you going to make money? Like, <laughs> you're going to be a starving artist. And I was just like, don't worry. I have like a whole financial plan, like figured out, like I'm going to give myself this amount of time. I've saved up this much. So I was like very intentional about making sure to plan for this big change, but then also to just reassure that I'm not just jumping off the deep end. I mean, I am jumping off the deep end, but... There was a contingency plan. Like I was like, I, you can always go back to tech. I can always go back to tech. You don't have to worry. And my mom is funny enough that she's like, everything doesn't work out. You can always come back and live with me and I will feed you forever. And you can just be my, my roommate forever. And <laughs> you'll never have to work a day again, as long as you live with me. So for me, I was like, that's motivation that's enough to work hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so she's, she's a funny one, but yeah, she was supportive. And I think my... My family overall has been very supportive and even like my grandma who I think she's just like proud that I'm like doing doing a whole project. I to her I think it still is like a school project. Like I don't think she understands the scale or the scope of everything. Like even when I was like creating the blog and had the Instagram and was growing my presence on the internet, like I don't think she just has a concept of what that means. So She's always just like, yeah, like go Frankie. Like he's doing his like art thing. And so, <laughs> so they're all really supportive. <laughs> so now that you've got, what did, what did they say when you came back and told them about the book deal? I mean, they must've been excited. They were, yeah, I think they were super, super excited. They were really proud, which I was really happy about. And yeah, I think they were, I think they were just like surprised. They were just like, oh, that's crazy that people want to talk about these dishes that we just, you know, eat every day at home, like with no big deal. They're just in Tupperware containers all the time that we just eat around the kitchen island, like something so casual. And, and I was like, that's why I want to show this stuff off. I don't think people realize that there's so many, you know, Taiwanese dishes or just like dishes in general that, you know, immigrant families eat that are so delicious, but they just don't get the representation or the kind of mainstream media focus that, you know, other cuisines do. So I was just like, yeah, I want to like, I want to celebrate this food. And I think it would be so awesome to kind of give it, a, give it a lens of like, I think from like a designer's lens, like my goal is like, okay, like how do I make this food feel like worthy and like, feel like it, it should be celebrated um, because it, it definitely deserves to be. So I think they're just really proud to the fact that this, this is happening and that like our cuisine is getting a little bit of a spotlight. So how would you, what do you want people to take away from the book that you're writing now? What do you, what, what kind of insights do you hope they're going to glean when they go through the page? Yeah, I think for me, 
I think one of the biggest things for me was knowing that it's okay to like not feel to feel like you kind of have everything together in terms of like understanding your identity or your culture. Cause I feel like in writing this book, I realized this is very like, I've always struggled with kind of feeling Taiwanese enough or feeling American enough. Like I've always been in this in between. I've always felt like this third culture kid. And when I first started writing the book, I was like, oh, I have to be an expert. Like my goal is to be an expert, to be able to like educate people. But really like, I think my goal was to just like let people know that A, like they're heard and that there's this kind of like not feeling like you belong anywhere feeling is okay and that it should be celebrated. Like those stories deserve to be told and that you don't have to have all the answers. And so I think that's like one of the biggest takeaways I want people to have. You were listening to Taiwanese American food blogger and cookbook author Frankie Gao. Frankie's book, First Generation, is set for release this fall and is being published by Tin Speed Press. And that does it for this week's edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Hope Go. Join us again next time. Thanks for tuning in.